Death to the Girl Boss. Hi, welcome back to my podcast. I'm Zoya, your host, and you're listening to The Black Sprout. This week, we will be talking about the girl boss. So I know I have said that um, this week we're talking about the girl boss, but really we're bringing it all the way back and talking about feminism, but really the beginning of feminism, the birth of feminism, and why many, I am not the only one, have a problem when it comes to feminism. Right? So many people will claim to still be a feminist and express their concerns or their, um, I guess, regrets about the history of feminism. But I'm going to let you guys know what is good. So first, we're going to start off with an understanding of what feminism is, right? The belief is that the political, economical, and cultural equality of women has roots in the Um, Earliest era of human civilization, it is typically separated into three waves. The first wave of feminism, dealing with property rights and the right to vote. Then we have the second wave of feminism, which focuses on equality and anti-discrimination. And third wave feminism, which starts in about the 1990s as a backlash to the second wave's um, perceived privilege of white straight women. So right away, we already are confronted with the idea that there were times in this feminism wave movement um, and moment that were prioritizing white straight women. And that is not new of history, to be honest. I'm introducing my first character, Ida B. Wells Burnett. We're just going to call her Wells for um, my purposes, um, partly because Burnett is hyphenated for her um, partner's last name, and I'm talking about her and I'd like to be a menace. So basically, Wells was a journalist, an activist, and a research in the late 19th to the early 20th century. She was born in Holly Springs, Mississippi on July 16th, 1862. So you know what that means. She has a cancer. (laughs) Um, And with that comes so much understanding of why she would be so passionate about what she does and that she would be a writer and an investigative writer at that. So Wells um, was not new to advocacy and she'd been dancing with advocacy since she was about young. So she was expelled from Rust College because of a dispute that she had with her university um, president. And you know, that was one of these instances. We have another instance where Wells files a lawsuit against a train company for unfair treatment. Wow, I am struggling to speak today. Anyway, let us roll on. So basically what happened was she was thrown off a first class train um, despite having a ticket. Uh, The story of many, yet here we are again. Unfair treatment. This woman bought a ticket first class and you're telling her she can't sit there because of her race. Racism. Anyway, her case did win in um, the local levels, but it was overturned in the federal courts, which is very frustrating. Um, But it was really after the lynching of one of her close friends that she really became um, skeptical about the reasons that Black men were being lynched. So she set out to investigate, and she kind of had these several cases that she went and investigated and realized that what she was seeing was true. 
And so no surprise, when she started her advocacy work and when she was investigating these cases of um, unfair treatment um, and lies, really, she was met with threats from the locals and she was forced to leave and move to Chicago, Illinois. Wow. I just want to say, whenever I hear about um, people who were like forced to leave where they lived and had to move out of other, other, like to a new area, I always think like, this is how I know the people around me have not really faced troubles and trials and tribulations. Because really and truly, <laughs> you're fighting over your man. <laughs> and these people are fighting so that their friend doesn't get lynched unfairly. Like your life is ending and you're worried about these like trivial, anyway. Like I understand this is a, a different time frame, so people would be like, well, this is not right now. But I'm like, no, no, but like people's daily, daily reality and this day even is like, I hope my friend doesn't die, especially as a person of color, more importantly, as someone who's black. And then you have people who are like, lottie dottie through the world. I'm telling you, ignorance is bliss. Sign me up for some of that. Wells later gets, goes on to get married and she has four children with Fernando Burnett, an African-American lawyer. Um, and it is noted that she was able to balance both motherhood and activism. And I haven't decided how I feel about the fact that the article highlighted that. Because if she was a man, would they be worried whether or not she balanced both motherhood and activism? However, I also love the idea that she's multifaceted and was able to do a lot. But I find the concept interesting, and so I'm on the fence about it. But I'd like to present that as a as a dialogue this was not even the point of this episode but i'd still like to present it as a dialogue that why do we why are we so quick to like congratulate women for like balancing motherhood as well as like other forms of labor because motherhood or parenting is emotional labor um like why are we so quick to like pat women on the back for that uh and not men. Like, I don't notice men get that noted in their articles a lot where it's like, he was a great father. Or he was, sorry, it's not the great father part. It's more of the balance that, that she's expected and congratulated to balance motherhood as well as activism. That if she somehow tips on either side, she somehow failed. But it, it somehow she was able to balance the two of them. I don't know. Just a thought. Just something I'm putting out there. Anyway, while she was balancing motherhood and activism, she was also battling against racism. So what would happen is we had some of these white feminists would ridicule and ostracize well because of her opinions on lynching. She was like, hey, I know it's crazy, but here we are fighting for women's rights, equal rights, equality of the sexes. I don't know. I'm throwing an idea out here. Why don't we advocate against lynching. Crickets, crickets, actually more like anger. They rage, they were upset. Um, and, and you know what, it just makes me laugh because it goes, you're not worried about freeing people. Or if you are, you're not really worried about equity because you set a hierarchy of who holds value more than another. And see, I've recently learned about this concept of the shoal, which is the idea that when the ships met the shore, the ships had to dock. 
Um, but more importantly, it talks about the idea that um, black and brown people have, um, or more, I guess you would say, black and indigenous people have a relationship together that we really haven't delved into and talked about so often because everybody is either considered okay, they were like indigenous and the rest is colonizers. Well, that's not really true because we know that like people were forced here and brought here and people have come here under a lot of different conditions and not necessarily out of their own free will, but um, rock in a hard place, like that's not really free will. Anyway, um, my point is to say uh, that later in this concept of the show, it talks about this idea that we've like placed hierarchies on things, right? Like the reason that we're so it's easy for us to kill like animals for instance is because we've said like we as humans are worth more we are valued more because we have rational thought and opposing thumbs however what we've noticed throughout history is that um um this hierarchy of i don't know intelligence has been used against other marginalized groups to show their inf inferiority right there was a time where black people weren't considered human and so I'd like to present this idea that maybe our goal should never really have been to strive for a sense of hierarchy, of domination, of the king of the ecosystem, something to dominate the, the, the food chain. We are not at the top of the food chain, but a part of the food chain because it just is. No, I'm joking. Um, but no, I am I, like, I'm, I'm in awe of this concept and I think it is very interesting, but more importantly, I think it can be added into this idea where it's like, we're stuck with this idea that these white feminists were like, we're fighting for women's rights. And when Well proposed the idea that we might have to be fighting for more than just quote unquote women's rights, she was met with confrontation, with anger, with rebuttal, and, and yet again, you know, um, racism. <laughs> and, and I think it's, I think it's really interesting. So that was kind of the background information of um, Ida B. Wells. I'm gonna kind of backtrack a little bit and sort of go back to really the history of feminism. I kind of wanted to give you an idea of who she was because when I was reading about this feminism, but more importantly, almost the dark side, no pun intended, <laughs> the dark side of feminism, uh, I was reading these names and I was like, oh my God, who are these people? <laughs> like, I need more information. So I've decided to present you with more information. So many of us know that the feminist movement kind of came out of, um, or suffrage movement kind of came from the women's alcohol temperance movement. And it was a powerful force in the greater push towards women's suffrage, right? And so we had suffrage leaders like Susan B. Anthony who did champion for black equality, right? Her goal was not just the liberation of women or more importantly, white women, which was often happening more often than not. That was a complicated sentence, but we knew what I meant. Um, but what was happening was she wanted equality. She said, when we talked about the social, economical equality of the sex, she was like, we were talking about everyone. Anyway, basically this, is my point that I point to whenever I say that feminism was not made for everybody, right? Basically, Congress passed the 15th Amendment that allowed Black men to vote in theory and that didn't include women. But more importantly, it didn't include white women. And the difference was that this caused a lot of resentment, especially in the South, right? So we're presented with a situation where 
Previously, a group of people weren't even considered human. They weren't considered human, and they now not only were considered human, but theoretically had the right to vote before you did. There were a time where you owned enslaved black people, and now the men that were enslaved that you were in possession of now had the ability to vote before you did. Imagine. Anyway, so then we have a new player, Frances E. Willard. She is the national president of the Women's Christian Temperance Movement, right? And she felt that by giving women the right to vote, they would be able to be able to help redirect the U.S. of the evils of in, um, intemperance. Ironically, her parents were abolitionists, and yet still racist comments flow out of her mouth. So basically, Willard made a bunch of comments that were like racist, and Wells commented on how Willard's statements were unhesitantly slandered the entire Negro race in order to gain favor with those who are hanging, shooting, and burning Negroes alive. Now, this was written in Wells' autobiography titled Crusades for Justice. So, previously, Wells had been to Great Britain fighting and advocating against the lynching of black her black brothers. Now, May 9th, 1894, she's invited back again. And this time, she's coming with her anti-lynching campaign, and she's ready to speak. So both Wells and Willards were invited to speak before the British temperance advocates. And Wells came with a game plan. Let me tell you. This was a time when social science was used, like I had mentioned before, to justify unequal treatment according to race. Right? So you have the ideas that, like, you have eugenics and such and heads too small and this and that and hierarchies and, and people are justifying unfair treatment with the myths they're making up. Wells kind of confronts Willers on stage in a way that she's left with no way to ignore the comments, right? What was happening was before is these women were ignoring the remarks and the concerns about the lynching of black men, and now she's not able to. And so Wells poses the question about influential white women continuing to turn a blind eye to the white mobs that threaten black lives. Now, Lady Somerset was, um, you could call her an ambassador or endorser, my bad, of Willard's, and <laughs> she was livid. She was upset and she did not want Wells to take a foot, a step in Britain again. She said, no, not you. You're not allowed here no more. However, however, Missy thought she was big, bad, and bold. And she sent a telegram to black abolitionist Frederick um, Douglass. And she demanded that Wells was publicly reprimanded, right? I think to her, this was the peak of of everything, to have a man come reprimand this woman. It, it almost gives, know your place, go back to the kitchen. Well, Frederick said no. <laughs> anyway, so what we're seeing right now is a real disconnect between feminism, white women, black women, women of color. White women were often ignorant of the issues of racism that black women and other women of color faced, and sometimes that ignorance was often meant with defense, right? Like, imagine when you talk to somebody, you tell them like, hey, don't touch my hair. And they like hit you with all those I statements. And it's like, it, it, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> because it doesn't matter. Because the action is so wrong. 
Anyway, cause of this feminism, um, basically because like so many of these like black and women of color issues weren't being talked about or like uh, addressed, white femin or feminism kind of became largely white for years. Um, I think that's why so many people now to this day have such a hard time connecting with it because of its white history, because of its um, stress on protecting white women and often perpetuating these ideals that are very harmful to marginalized communities. This idea that like black men are out there to hurt these white women and that it is up to us to like, or women to like liberate and save themselves against these like dark black men. But it's also just like, that's so monolithic, like to think that like people harm people, not racist. Like, I don't know how else to say that. Anyway, um, I was reading this article and it talks about this idea of like white nostalgia, um, which is this idea that the generation, um, so kind of like the seventies, um, you know, was shaped by this sentimental and racial integrity, um, integration. And so they sort of saw this colorblind society. Race was almost irrelevant because people are people and love is love and we're all in this together. However, his history, legislation and politics, like life shows you that that's not true. Um, and so I'm going to connect this to the girl boss. More importantly, death to the girl boss. She's dying. She's dead. Um, I think it's funny that we often think that by putting female or woman or girl in front of a word, it's somehow better because a woman's perspective on issues is, is the right perspective. When historically, I mean, I literally just finished talking about it. Women leading something doesn't necessarily make it better or right. It just means that a woman did it. You can have oppression at the hands of women. Exhibit A, we had it. White women were upset that black men got the vote and they said, this will not fly, let's deal with it. And instead of being like, oh, how can we liberate more people? It was just more of a me, me, me um, concept. Like I said, there were obviously people who were fighting against that. We got Susan B. Anthony, um, but like, like, let's not be naive. Let's not coddle people, okay? If you have tears, get some tissues. Susan Amoroso, I'm pretty sure that's how you say the last name, popularized the slogan Girl Boss. Um, and in about 2014, and that girl made wonders when she put a hashtag in it. All of a sudden, it was trending. So, Girl Boss, what is it? <laughs> Basically, they thought they were the cure for, cure for capitalism. Like I said, we throw girl in front of it and somehow it is better. That's not the truth. That is not the truth. And so the difference really between a regular boss and a girl boss is that girl bosses focus on feminism and hustle and not just hustle. That's a joke, right? Like, that's so funny to me. Um, I think people think that, uh, 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 like, matriarchal feminism or, or capitalism would be better than patriarchal feminism. Or, I can't speak. It's so funny to me that people think that, like, matriarchal capitalism would be better than patriarchal capitalism. Like, capitalism is a problem. These institutions are a problem. Putting girl in front of it doesn't make it better. Um, and so it's almost, this is kind of where the TikTok joke, Gaslight, Gatekeep, and Girl Boss were born. And they're a nod to really white feminism. This live, laugh, love idea that ignorance is bliss. Really, you're living, running through life, live, laughing, and loving. It's just so funny. 
Um, but it is also the life I want. Uh, let me live, laugh, and love. <laughs> Instead, I'm suffering. <laughs> I'm joking. Let me not say that. Um, so girl bosses kind of promote the idea that, um, all you need is feminist ideals to be added and mistreatment will kind of, mistreatment would be redundant in a capitalist patriarchal system. Um, and really that a patriarchal, uh, patriarchal capitalist system is a choice that we choose this. Um, that's kind of the idea that the girl boss promotes when really, um, girl boss doesn't save us from anything. In fact, it just perpetuates and repackages capitalism in a new form. Another way to have the state take your money and tell you what and who and how you should be. So we later discover companies like Nasty Girl, which were known for its girl boss phenomenon, um, were sued for allegedly illegally firing their pregnant employees in 2015. And the irony is, in 2016, Nasty Girl filed for bankruptcy. <laughs> well, that was this week's episode. Um, thank you so much for listening to The Black Sprout. Um, tune in for next time. Bye!